0: me a go no go for launch
1: just when you think you're out they pull you back in i was gonna say something that was not true i i don't know why we do these let's make film history
0: we are go for launch
1: welcome back everybody to the almost sideways podcast we are here once again uh, bringing you another movie uh, from the past with a deep dive today. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Uh, the, you could say we are the, the uh, original social distancing podcast because we've been social distancing ever since this thing started. Uh, I am coming to you from outside of Portland, Oregon, in the small town of Cornelius. And then we've got Todd Plucknett coming to you from...
0: Federal Way, Washington.
1: Federal Way, Washington. Isn't yes. is that the yes. uh,
2: the hub of the coronavirus outbreak?
0: Uh, yeah, about maybe about like twenty five miles from here, but yeah, pretty close. You
2: see, and, you see, Todd is, voice... Todd is risking his life to be on this
1: podcast. Exactly. Sorry. Just need to By existing that out. in Washington. Yeah, um. I, like
0: we got we got Cinco de Mayo <laughs> on Taco Tuesday coming up, and I can't, I have to make my own damn margarita.
1: I, <laughs> I've seen many memes about. Cinco de Mayo happening on Taco Tuesday, but it's being spoiled by a virus named Corona. I mean, oh, yeah, too easy. Yeah, it's too. It's too I know to it true. is. It is. It Low-hanging is. Hanging fruit. Anyways, uh, that other voice you hear there is Zach Saltz coming to you from
2: Lawrence, Kansas.
1: Home of basketball. That's right.
2: Not the coronavirus.
1: Yes, yes. Yep, we've been we've been social distancing ever since the start of this podcast. There has been one podcast where anybody has actually been in the same room, um, and it was our Vegas podcast. And it's debatable honestly, whether we were really there uh, though.
2: All mental. What? It's debatable whether we were really all truly there. You know, mentally.
1: That that's what I was gonna say. I, I don't know how much we really remember of it, but there is audio evidence that it exists. So, um, yeah, that's the only time highly edited yes audio evidence uh yeah editing that uh, would put Thelma
2: schoonmaker to shame
1: i mean todd and i haven't even been in a been in a podcast together in the same room i always thought that would happen at some point but it hasn't happened yet
0: yeah yeah i mean we i guess we just really haven't had the right timing
1: yeah yep all right well, uh, let's get into this by asking the most important question of the podcast, every podcast, and that is, Zach, what are you drinking?
2: I'm drinking out of Lawrence effing Kansas, the Copperhead Pale Ale from Free State. This is the last one in my refrigerator, the last one in the city of Houston. I will have to replenish it. I will, this is my last Copperhead, I promise, for the rest of the year on this podcast. That is my bold announcement. Oh.
1: Does that, does that mean you're making a, making a run to get something else sometime this week?
2: Yes, uh, I am. I'm tired of Copperhead on this podcast. <laughs> now when I drink Copperhead, I think of the podcast, not the association I, I necessarily want to make. Or maybe I do want to make it. I don't know. I got to change I, I like
1: things that. I like how you threw in an Apollo 13 quote there. You had to have been watching Apollo 13 at some point this week. I know when he watches Apollo 13, because he randomly starts texting me Apollo 13 quotes.
2: yes. Yes, very true.
1: We came up with se- several several new uh, fantasy football names for me.
2: We did okay. That's kind of like when we were in Vegas. I'm again. I'm not sure if I was totally there. Like, you know.
1: I'm trying to remember what some of them were. I remember. Oh, Christmas turkey.
2: Oh yes, Christmas one. turkey. It's gotta have a clap noise afterwards, though. <laughs> you notice know, so I did the... Intonation yeah.
1: perfectly. I'm sorry. Pro, uh, program sixty-seven was another one. Yeah, we program yep.
2: sixty-seven. Yep, we're dead.
1: Yep. Uh huh. Yeah, that that'll be a. That <laughs> uh, and then we talked about how we should really just do like another. Apollo 13 deep dive or something like that,
2: and then we had it, a, a disagreement about where we saw the departed. See, th- this is this is the the charm of the coronavirus: is you can go, you can text people about these things that you know came up 15 years ago because there's nothing else going on.
1: Yeah, but I was right about where we saw the departed, and you weren't.
2: I I'm not totally saying you're wrong. It, it was one of those theaters. It was it was a strange. I was theater, the
1: one driving but, the car because you true. didn't have a car.
2: That's I did not have a car or a cell phone. Really living large. Lots of ladies. Yeah,
1: yeah. Anyways, let's get back on track. Todd, what are you drinking?
0: <laughs> I have, it's a cocktail that I've created. It's white rum mixed with white peach, cranberry juice, and guava nectar. And I cannot taste the alcohol at all, and there's three shots in this bitch. So, cheers.
1: What, what are you calling that one? Yeah, got oh, come up no with idea. a name.
0: I have no idea. I just put stuff together. I, I mean, I should probably write it down. <laughs> but I don't I can surprise I myself later by maybe making the same thing I don't
2: know By the end of this podcast we need to come up with a name for that drink It can be based on maybe the movie we're talking about
1: Or based on the cup you have it in I mean that's yeah. Breaking Bad Cup, that's pretty nice Where's my money, bitch? It's good stuff, good stuff Alright, well I've got um, I've got a tall boy this time This is uh, a Cryostash uh, IPA uh, Out of Hop Valley Brewing In Eugene, Oregon there you go, Zach. Shout out your hometown. Uh, yeah, I got a tall boy this time, um, and uh, I've got an extra one, and a smaller one, just in case I, I need something else after this. We'll see how long this goes, but, uh, but yeah, it's pretty good. It's strong. It's like eight point one. So yeah.
2: That was that was your big uh, announcement on the last podcast too. You were like uh, you had like a ten percent alcohol volume. Uh, drink last time
1: oh Mm -hmm. yeah the last one Mm -hmm. it was the it was the growler it was a growler oh and i'll have i'll have a good one for uh for next week too uh this next week is um national teacher appreciation week and there's a brewery around here that's doing like nine dollar growler phillips so we're trying to figure out how many times we can get there this week
0: (laughs) how many growlers do you have?
1: Uh, three growlers, so, you know, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh, all right, well, once again, thank you so much for listening, um, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Spotify, uh, you can find all of our movie ratings and reviews and lists and such on almostsideways.com, you can also find us Facebook, Twitter, all those places, make sure you, uh, you like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. Uh, help us help us get the word out about this awesome podcast that we love doing. Okay, so let's get into what we've been uh, what we've been watching, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that before we get into our deep dive. Todd, what have you been watching this week?
0: Uh, so I I found out that the movie that Zach had originally uh, given me to watch for the last podcast uh, started streaming on the brand new NBC streaming network which is called Peacock so I watched The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover which is the 1990 Peter Greenaway movie <laughs> um, this movie stars Helen Mirren as Georgina she is the wife of Albert uh, who is played by Michael Gambon he's like this brutal kind of out of control gangster who uh, murders random people seemingly for his own pleasure but probably just to, like sort of maintain the stranglehold he has on the neighborhood and every night he goes with his Employees, I guess, and his wife to this restaurant that they kind of just take over the whole thing. And Albert's like abusive and sadistic. So when Georgina starts an affair with this, like, kind of quiet bookshop owner, like he flips out. And so that sort of forms the basis for this movie that kind of feels like more of a play than a movie. Tim Roth is in it, he plays one of uh, Albert's flunkies, which is uh, kind of fun to see. I, I think Helen Mirren and Michael Gambon are awesome in this movie. I, I think David Thewlis kind of based his career around Michael Gambon's performance in this. Like, a, a, It's a completely over-the-top, captivating character. And it's clearly inspired by Kubrick. There's like these really wide shots, and the camera's always sort of like just like floating along the scene. And it makes it so you can't really look away, even though what's happening is really like re- reprehensible and nihilistic. I think, like, Cronenberg and David Lynch and even, like, Ari Aster, I feel like, really based their careers around how this movie was shot, too. Like, it's it's really bizarre in that way, but it also wouldn't exist without A Clockwork Orange. It's uh, The thing that keeps me it, giving it an uh, even higher, like, review, I feel like, is the fact that the last, like, 30 minutes, everything's, like, wrapped up too much in a bow. Like, every little thing that happens is kind of explained or kind of, like, thrown into the plot right at the end and i i kind of i was annoyed by that but other than that i think it's like a good and a bad movie like a s- disgusting movie and a beautiful movie at the same time i th- I give it three stars and i don't think this is a zach movie at all but he called it the most epic zach movie ever so i want to know why that is <laughs>
2: Oh, because it pisses people off watching it, you know? Like, I think this movie is a great litmus test if you're, like, a cool person or, like, a lame Like, if you watch this movie and are actually repulsed by it, then you, like, you know, you have no balls. Like, this is a fun movie. It's, like, in your face. And quietly, it's really... I think what... You know, this movie got an NC-17 when it came out, one of the first NC-17 movies. And what offended more people more than the kind of reprehensible, cannibalistic aspect to it was that it's very much, like... Uh, very political movie. It's very critical of capitalism. It's very critical of the British aristocracy. I think that's what gets under people's skin more. But it is just like all out kitchen sink, all in your face. Like Darren Aaron, I- I'm surprised you also didn't mention Darren Aronofsky. I feel like he would be a big fan of this movie too. Uh, you're right on. Actually, I agree with your review for the most part. I, I also don't love the ending of it. Um, I'm really glad you saw it, but I love this movie. I also shout out to N- Michael Nyman for the score. I think about this movie a lot because I have his music on my phone and I sometimes listen to it. It's one of the great underrated scores of the 90s. Helen Mirren, um, Michael Gambon, awesome in this movie, criminally underrated movie, Criterion Collection, where are you? This is a begging for a Criterion Cor- Collection uh, re-release.
0: I don't think I'd ever seen a Peter Greenaway movie, but yeah. Oh, yeah, he's great. Like style, The Draughtsman's
2: Contract is also a great movie. Josh, uh, trivia note that Terry might appreciate. I learned about this movie because our old film professor at Concordia, Dr. Hill, he said this was the only time he's ever walked out on a movie because he couldn't handle it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I had to see it.
0: Well, you know from the oh, you have to shot see that. that. Yeah, you're going to either like it or not like it, so <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I may have to try and catch oh, up. Oh, Terry here. should totally watch well, it. Well, the Peacock I, Network totally. is free, so you, you can watch it. Anybody who has it's It's yeah, free Xfinity. for Comcast.
1: Yeah, Comcast Xfinity subscribers get Peacock for free. Yeah, I may have to check that out. All right, I'm going to go next uh, and go just through a little bit of uh, what I've been watching. There's one movie I'm, I'm actually going to talk about, but uh, I watched Vertigo for the first time this week. For the first time man that movie is a masterpiece that's such a cool movie um and just the the twistedness of it and how it how it just like like that's like the most epic mic drop to end a movie like ever it's like like you you have that that complete twist ending like five seconds before blackout credits roll that's awesome uh, so that, that one was really good. Um, my anniversary movie this week was Dogtooth, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. That is one strange movie. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, I, I, can, I can see, all I kept on saying to myself is, oh, now Lanthimos just makes sense. If this is where he started. To go from there to the lobster, I still haven't seen the killing of a sacred deer, but I've that I've heard that's just absurd too. But um, yeah, it, it it's it's insane, it's insane. But still, kind of awesome at the same time. I really don't understand it. Um, I've also been watching a lot of Breaking Bad. I'm getting near the end of season three. I just watched an uh, just about an hour ago. I watched an entire episode of uh, of. Walt and Jesse trying to kill a fly. Um, that is a, that is an amazing, amazing episode. It's the most, so good.
2: The most divisive episode of the whole series, in my opinion.
1: I love that episode. Some people I love know, it, I some mean, people Johnson. hate it. Yeah, and I saw it was directed by Ryan Johnson, too. That was amazing. Uh, okay, so yeah, that's where I'm at with Breaking Bad. I'm working my way through. Um, so, uh, I've got two movies... I'm just going to briefly mention one and then talk about the other. Two brand new uh, Netflix originals that came out this weekend that I watched uh, over the last couple days. Um, one was horrible and one was really good. Uh, the horrible one was uh, this Indian movie called Mrs. Serial Killer. Um, yeah, the premise sounded better than the movie actually happened. I mean, it was it's like the first indian bollywood type movie i've ever seen and maybe it's just the style but it was so schizophrenic it had no idea what it wanted to be it was like part horror part thriller part slapstick comedy part drama with a really cheesy score that sounded like it belonged in amateur night um it was it's a story of uh, of a uh, a guy who is uh wrongfully accused of being a serial killer and so his wife decides that the only way to get out of it is to uh, to perform a copycat murder uh, to show that the serial killer is still on the loose while her husband is in prison. And it's, yeah, as absurd as that sounds, it's even more absurd watching it. Anyways, it's a horrible movie. If you want to check out something horrible, that's almost laughably bad. Uh, yeah, it's on Netflix right now. But the movie I do want to talk about that I really liked was called The Half of It. Uh, someone also came out this uh, this weekend. Uh, this is written and directed by Alice Wu. Uh, this is her second uh, movie that she's made. Uh, and it's the first one she's made since 2004. Her first film was called Saving Face. Um, but this is her first film since 2004. Only her second film ever. Uh, and it's it's kind of this this high school drama, but it's got a whole lot of heart. It's super just, it's such a sweet movie. Um, it follows, uh, the main character, Ellie Chu played by Leah Lewis, uh, who is this really smart, um, genius type high school girl who nobody really understands and nobody really gets. Uh, she gets hired by all those, all the cool kids to write papers, um, for them. Um, anyways, so her, uh, one of the guys, one, a guy on the football team named Paul played by Daniel Diemer hires her to help write a love letter to this girl. And it really turns into this weird twist on, um, Cyrano de Bergerac of, uh, but the, the twist to it is that, uh, the girl that they're writing this love letter for Ellie is also in love with. And so you've got this kind of love triangle that forms between the two, between the three of them. Uh, The girls, her name is Aster, played by Alexis Lemire. Uh, Again, a bunch of no-name actors. And it takes place in, from what I can tell, a fictitious town in the middle of central Washington somewhere. Because I I was trying to find where it was, but apparently it doesn't exist. It's near Wenatchee. It
0: sounded like they
1: mentioned Wenatchee. Yeah, it sounds like times. they were trying
0: to make it sound like Suquamish, but that's like by Pole's And but yeah, it was supposed to yeah. be central. Squamish
1: is what they call it. Yeah, yeah. You watched this this weekend too, right, Todd?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I watched that earlier Yeah, yeah. Today.
1: yeah. So uh, so yeah, the first half of this movie is awesome as as it's going through the writing of the letters and the the best scene. There's this awesome scene in the movie where where um where he's on a date with the girl and and she's like texting the girl as him while he's sitting across the table from her i mean it's, it's just it's just really cool how it's all constructed and it works really well um the second half of the movie it's almost like the writer didn't know how to finish it and what she wanted to do with it um and so it kind of unravels a little bit and gets a little messy which may have been the point too because one of the one of the things that said at near the end of the movie is love is messy and the but the script gets a little too messy. Uh, it doesn't really know how to end it, and it kind of ends, it ends okay. Um, I was really rooting for this movie to fin- to stick the landing because I really, really enjoyed the start of it and uh, the whole premise of it. Uh, I'm still giving it three stars. I wish I could give it more, but it just kind of spiraled a little too much out of control for me to for me to really, really really praise it but it's it's a really fun movie and if you want something just sweet and um and light to watch uh this week and half of it it's on netflix it's easy to find uh check it out todd what do you think of it
0: yeah i'm pretty much in agreement with everything you said i i felt like it was almost like love simon or something like that but or like a lighter john hughes I, I do agree about the ending like I mean I feel like a lot of the like characters are exaggerated like the dumb characters are really dumb and the smart characters are absurdly smart so it's sort of like it, it has a, it has a hard time finding the balance in there but I, I still really enjoyed it I give it three stars as well
1: yeah like when Paul gets smacked in the head with the football
0: <laughs> yeah when he's like wide open downfield <laughs> <laughs> he's wide open he's wide open. I kept thinking uh, like he's like Forrest. Just put him at kick returner, and
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Just give him the ball. That's really what he was. He was Forrest Gump at that point. Zach, have you heard of this movie? I have.
2: Uh reviewed it um, this weekend. He was a little less enthusiastic about it, but he said the same thing you did, which is that it, the ending was the weakest uh, point for him. But I'm I'm curious about it, and I may check it out this week.
1: Yeah, it. I'd say it's it's definitely worth the watch. And again, the the first half of it is just is outstanding and then like i said the it just didn't know how to end and it gets it gets a little a little messed up near the end but still good all right zach what'd you watch
2: okay well really i have three things that i'll kind of go quickly on um the first is that i i've continued to watch ozark i'm in the middle of season two uh really big fan of the show i think it's awesome We were talking a little bit before this podcast about it. It has some flaws in it, but every time I have a flaw with it, eventually it kind of resolves itself. So I think it's a very intelligent show in that sense. It's intuitive. I think it kind of realizes what... What viewers are thinking, and it does something that I've never really seen another show do, except for sometimes Breaking Bad. To this, uh, at the beginning of each episode of Ozark, they show like something that's toward the end of the episode, so it's completely out of context, and you don't know like what the hell is happening. Um, but usually, it explains itself. I think that's 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 really kind of curious, and and I like it a lot. It's a cool show. It's I think it's the best show that that's currently airing on TV. Not that I pretend to be an exhaustive expert on that subject, but I've like you know I've like put my phone down. I'm you know I'm like totally invested in this show. I think it's really really. Well done. Um, The second thing I watched was... a really kind of low-budget indie movie that I found on Canopy. Sometimes I love to go on Canopy and just find something that looks interesting. I don't read anything about it. I'll just click play because I, I think the title looks interesting and the cast. And so I clicked on a movie called I Used to Be Darker, which is from 2013. It's directed by uh, a director named Matthew Porterfield, who sort of I've noticed kind of sets all of his films in the Baltimore area. He's, he was born and raised in Baltimore. And it doesn't really have a big cast. Although, curiously, probably the biggest name in the cast is Adele Exerciopoulos, the the girl who was in uh, Blue is the Warmest Color, although she has a really minor role in this movie. She's really only in the first 10 minutes. It tells the story, this movie um, tells the story of a uh, uh, young Irish woman played by Dara Campbell, and she's working in Ocean City, Baltimore, or excuse me, Ocean City, Maryland. Um, but you know, she's sort of drifting around in and out. And so she finds herself sort of at rock bottom. So she contacts her extended family who are Americans. Uh, there's this mother, father, and then their kind of, um, post adolescent daughter who's in college and she sort of crashes at their place for a while. They're in the middle of uh, going through a divorce, which is pretty painful for everyone involved. And what's also kind of curious about them is that the mother and father in this couple are like musicians the mother is like a semi-professional musician and she's played in this movie by Kim Taylor and the father's played by Ned Oldham and they're really good in this movie Uh, this is like so like indie movie I mean this is like a Sundance Channel type movie it looks like it was made for about maybe $40 like although I will say to its credit it actually I think the it's shot digitally and I think it looks actually pretty professional um, digitally I, the, the best way I can sort of describe it is it feels like a Jonathan Demme wannabe which is not necessarily a bad thing but there's definitely some like it made me think about like Rachel getting married which is certainly not a bad thing I love that movie um, but it's definitely about like some dysfunctional family elements that are kind of hidden lurking beneath the surface and when this girl kind of shows up at this family's door it sort of un- unearths those things although so you know this is also also like it's a Jonathan Demi meets mumblecore in a way because there's also some like it's it's not like an exaggerated theatrical story there's nothing like earth shattering that really happens in it it's more just a portrait of a few days in their life it reminded me also of uh, Jim Jarmusch a little bit and Stranger Than Paradise um, in the sense that it's just you know a few sort of days caught on camera I think it's a really cool movie I gave it three and a half stars I want to keep watching what this director has done this movie has less than a thousand votes on IMDb so I'm, a, I'm doubting either of you heard of it, but it's on well, it No, I actually really have. Good. It
0: is the, really? the guy who did uh, Solar's Point, and that was in my top 10 of 2018, so I'll definitely check it out.
2: Yeah, and I saw Solar's Point was, I forgot, okay, so I, I did not make that connection that you're a fan of that movie. Yeah, I want to watch more of his stuff. He's, he's a really interesting director, and I watched an interview with him afterwards, and he's like a cool guy. He's got like this tattoo on his arm, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and then the last thing I, I saw is, I, I didn't expect to binge watch this, but I did. I binge watched Last Dance. Uh, so it is, it's it's spectacular. I mean, it, it's everything that, that you want it to be. I think uh, the, the two things that really stuck out to me are, number one, just how much assholes the Detroit Pistons were. Like everyone wants to believe that yes. Isaiah Thomas is like this nice guy, he's got a great smile, he's very charismatic. No, those guys were douchebags, okay? They were like terrible, terrible human beings. So I would imagine if I was in the 80s, it, it, that that I feel like has to, con- has to contribute to the narrative of why Jordan was was so popular at least in the kind of middle to early part of his career which is I can't imagine anyone actually liking the Pistons I can't imagine like so so you know you get Jordan's hatred of the Pistons and I feel like people are on board when they finally uh, beat the Pistons in 1991 um the other thing that sticks out to me is when phil jackson arrives i think it's really interesting i didn't really realize this but well number one phil jackson's like a hippie which is really cool i'm sure someone needs to make a movie about him and bill walton in the 70s that's a, that has to be made somehow but another <laughs> like thing which coaching is coaching
0: in puerto rico or whatever where they yeah like a, where the where the mayor shot the referee and during the game
2: <laughs> exactly. Yes, I love that, and I and I like how he's he like talks about being on LSD and stuff. I think that's that stuff is great. But what's interesting about it is when Phil Jackson becomes coach of the Bulls, his number one priority is getting the ball out of Michael Jordan's hands, and he tells him, "You are not going to be the lead scorer in the league." And I think that's really fascinating. Um, and I think to some degree it also can relate to movies in a weird way because if you're just doing the same thing every time as a director, you know, you're just forcing the ball into MJ your game becomes very predictable so i don't know where i made that connection but like you know do something different and I, I feel like phil jackson with the triangle offense was so radical in such an unusual way no one had seen that and uh i just i, I think there's there's some you know maybe overlap with being a film filmmaker that's always pushing the bounds and trying something different so i,
1: I kind of thought that was cool
0: but don't you think- i thought it was
1: really interesting Okay,
0: I, I just feel like I would like to have known what Jerry Krause would have to say now, because like, he's obviously the genius behind the operation. He somehow convinced the Sonics to trade Scottie Pippen for Olden and, Paul and he's. He put the whole team together. I mean, yeah, he wanted to tear it apart because they didn't want to pay anybody, but still, like, I, they, they villainized him so much, and he's dead now, so he can't speak, and I, I wouldn't want to hear what he has to say.
1: Well, yeah, you go back to the 80s, and he was a genius, but he's also the one that broke it up simply for his ego, so... Yeah, I think it might have
0: been
1: the. I I, I don't know. I don't know.
0: They had Scotty on a on a on a contract that they wouldn't renegotiate because the owner doesn't renegotiate contracts during the contract. So,
1: well, I mean, Scotty wouldn't even talk to him though. We hated him. That that owner. I mean, he's also the owner of the White Sox, and the White Sox don't sign anybody either. So, they they they're just he's just a cheap guy. I mean, that's just how it is. But um, I also like the parallels in like Phil Jackson and Dennis Rodman and how Phil Jackson had this like profound deep understanding of who Dennis Rodman was because deep down he was kind of the same. I thought that was really cool. Too. Oh,
2: and Loki MVP, Carmen Electra. She's awesome in this series. Like her talking <laughs> points were amazing. And oh, we gotta also make a movie about Dennis Robin and Madonna's relationship. That has to be made too. Like, there's so many like little narratives that you just want more of. You know, it's it's so it's so explains why this series needs to exist. And
1: it does. Was
0: it like Scott Burrell that uh, that like uh, MJ was outing that he was an alcoholic to his mom on the again like on the plane or whatever?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah I think you're right.
2: I want to just take a break and go to Vegas and, like, demand my boss fund my trip to Vegas and then, like, not show up and everyone be like, ah, eh, he's just in Vegas. He's got to get it out of his system. Dennis Rodman, like, live in the dream, you know?
1: Zach, didn't you do that anyways? I mean, that's like...
2: I didn't demand that my boss, like, finance the trip. I should have, though. Maybe I'll try that next time. <laughs>
1: Well, and and by the time by the time everybody listens to this, episodes five and six will happen because they, dig yeah, they you in tonight. like a couple hours from what we're from when we're recording. Why doesn't uh, anybody give? the... I heard that's pist- supposed to be Dream Team, and uh, and Kobe are supposed to come up in the next two episodes. Ooh. So,
0: why doesn't anybody give the Pistons in the two thousands like as much crap as they give the 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 bad boy Pistons? Like they were kind of the same way. Like they they were a nasty team. They got into the the melee. They uh, they won a championship by playing all defense and nobody liked them, but nobody hated them the way they hated those Pistons in the eighties.
2: Well, I think by the time the Pistons came around, everyone was really getting sick of the Lakers. No one wants to talk about this now, but that's that was the era when Kobe got villainized.
0: Or is this because everyone hated Bill? Bigger target.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think it was. Yeah, the bad boys they they were just they were just brawlers. And, yeah, they got into a fight with the
0: crowd, or, like with the with the Pacers. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, but
2: that was more on our test. I mean, that, you know,
0: that was that was more the Pacers yeah. than the
2: Pistons. It was just the Pistons
1: fans.
0: Well, Ben Wallace the one that started it, though. He shoved him right after right after the play.
1: Yeah, but well, you could say he started it, or you could say we our test started when he ran into the crowd and anyways threw we're getting at way him. off topic
0: <laughs> yeah yeah this
1: is- it might have been bill and beer who knows
0: <laughs> yeah
1: all right well uh well let's move on yeah um last dance episodes five and six are coming out tonight you'll probably have already watched them by the time you hear this but yeah it's an awesome show awesome documentary series okay well let's get into our main topic of the day and that is our deep dive. And for this deep dive, we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of Raging Bull.
2: Let's hear it for the great Jake LaMotta, ladies and
1: gentlemen.
2: I'm the best. I can take him more than anybody.
0: You're dead, you're married. Leave the young girls for me.
2: There's no way I'm going down. I don't go down for nobody. Listen with him. Why does he have to make it so hard on himself?
1: Uh, this is uh, a Martin Scorsese classic uh, masterpiece. Uh, some people say it's the best sports movie ever made. Uh, some people say it's Scorsese's best movie. Some people... Uh, I think AFI... The last AFI list put it, I think, was, wasn't it number two?
0: it was number four. All time on the
1: last... It was... Yeah, it was in the top five of, of best movies of all time. Um, so... Uh, We're going to be talking about this one today, and we're going to start off, as we always do, with our trivia. I'm hosting trivia this time, and Todd, since he always complains about how he never goes first, he will be going first, and Zach will be going second. So, Zach, go ahead and unplug, and, uh, all right, Todd, you ready for this? Oh, yeah. All right. We'll see. I I don't know how deep to go into a movie like this, so we'll see how I did. Uh, There are nine questions. Uh, There are 19 points possible. Um, And and most of those points are on the last question, but we'll get there in a sec. All right, number one. In what round do we pick up Lamadas' fight with Reeves? And in what year did the fight take place? And in what city? Three points.
0: With Reeves? That's like the first fight? That's the first fight. fight. The first fight, So it's going to be like 1941 correct uh i think that was in cleveland correct and i'm gonna i don't know i'm gonna say the fifth round
1: we pick it up in the ninth, the ninth round, round.
0: Okay.
1: because it was a 10 round fight and it was the we pick it up in halfway through right before the the break before the final round uh number two so you got two of the three points there number two how old is vicky when jake meets her 15 15 is correct uh, what do Jake and Vicky do on their first date? Mini golf. <laughs> putt putt, yep. <laughs> um where where were the Sugar Ray Robinson fights held?
0: New York City. Uh,
1: that is incorrect, they were held in Detroit.
0: All all of all five of them.
1: <laughs> well, the first I know for sure the first two that they talk about, and those are the only ones where they actually specify what city. Okay. So, I'll I'll, I'll yeah uh what club do uh do they go to see the comedian at the copa the copa correct uh this one's worth two points uh who does jake have to get down to weight to fight and what weight does he have to get down to
0: so uh he has to get down to like correct one 55 correct wow good job <laughs>
1: next question uh what happened to the fighter jake beat for the title
0: what happened to him
1: yeah like afterwards like later on it mentions it mentions at some point that something happens to him late like
0: does he like epilogue after the fight he like uh oh he like dies in a like a plane crash or something he dies
1: in a plane crash that is correct uh next question what two words ends jake's poem from the stage
0: uh that's entertainment
1: that's entertainment
0: all
1: right last question this question i i'm gonna yeah yeah i'm gonna say this is worth eight points
0: oh
1: boy um what four actors did de niro beat for best actor and the so that's four points, and then if you can say what movie it was for that they were nominated, that gets you another four points.
0: Okay. So we have John Hurt for the Elephant Man. That
1: is correct.
0: Thank Peter O'Toole for the stunt man.
1: That is correct.
0: Uh Jack Lemon. Is that right?
1: That is right for what?
0: Uh it's like, I feel like it's like a guy's name, but I can't, I can't think of it. It is not a guy's name. Okay. It is for tribute. Tribute. Okay.
1: And then you got one more.
0: I mean, I know, I know what it's not. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help. I'm going to, s- no, uh, I'm going to say Olivier. And I don't know what the move would be for. That
1: is incorrect. It's Robert Duvall for The Great Santino.
0: Oh, okay. I feel pretty good about that.
1: (laughs) You got 14 of the 19 points. That is pretty good. Come on back, Zach. Wow. All right. All right. Todd did impressively well. I think... Todd, this is a pretty difficult quiz, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I had to pull a couple of those. uh, But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... Yeah, I mean it. It was not. It was not easy, but they are gettable.
1: Okay, so this is, this is. Uh, there are nine questions worth nineteen points. Todd got fourteen of the nineteen points. All right, he he was he was quite impressive on this. Okay, uh, and and I will I will um, preface this like I did with Todd. Most of the points are in the last question, but we'll get to that in a little bit. The first question is worth three points. Uh, this all has to do with the first fight of the movie. In what round do we pick up Lamada's fight with Reeves? In what year did the fight take place? And in what city? 13th round? It was the 9th round. Ah, okay. Because it was the round before the last round and it was a 10 round fight.
2: Uh, okay, so round, city. So
1: year and city is what you're looking 19, for
2: 19 1941? That is correct. And City It's not Detroit because that's where they go later. Cleveland.
1: Correct. All right. I'm on uh, the board. How old you are on the board. Todd got those two as well and missed the round.
0: Closer on the uh, round. Number two. What? Closer on the round.
1: You were clo- you were closer on the round, but I'm not giving a point for being closer. Next question How old is Vicky when Jake meets her?
2: Fifteen. But clearly, Correct. Kathy Moriarty is not 15. But, okay, we, yeah. we can talk about that later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Next question. What do Jake and Vicky do on their first date?
2: Uh Mincher Golf.
1: Correct. Yeah. Uh, where were the Sugar Ray Robinson fights held? That was in Detroit. Correct. Uh, what club do they go to see the comedian?
2: The Copa. Copa Cabana.
1: Yep. Correct. This question's worth two points. Uh, Who does Jake have to get down to weight to fight? And what weight does he have to get down to?
2: Okay, he's got to get down to 155, right? That is correct. And the... uh, Isn't it Janeiro?
1: Correct. All right. Uh, What happened to the fighter Jake beat for the title? Like afterwards, like a... It mentions later. What happens to him?
2: What happens to him? I, what
1: happens to the fighter Jake beat for the title? I have no clue. He dies in a plane crash. Really? When did I must have missed that line? I think it, I think it's in the next fight. Okay. Like it, like the next fight he's fighting. This it's like another French fighter. I think it says it's like the last fighter he beat for the title just tragically died in a plane really? crash. Did you get that, Todd? I, don't I did. That scene he did at all. get that. Wow.
2: Okay. I must have been out of it.
1: <laughs> okay. Next question what two words ends jake's poem from the stage that's entertainment correct all right last question now this one is worth eight points (laughs) all right uh what four actors did de niro beat for best actor and that's four points and for the other four points can you name what movie they were nominated for
2: okay uh so we have it's funny, because I just watched this YouTube clip this morning, so it's somewhat fresh. By the way, Todd,
1: Todd, got, Todd got five of the eight points off of this. Okay. Are you, and, and you are tied with him at this point. So if you get more than five, you win.
2: Okay, so we have Jack Lemon.
1: Correct. Do you know for what?
2: Um, come back to me. I will remember it in a second. I'm not okay. checking it. I, I got my hands up. I just his. Can I, I can tell you his character name. Can that count? Is Scotty no, Temple no. Tribu- tribute? That's it. Tribute, right?
1: That is correct. Okay. Uh, which is not a, which is not a guy's name, Todd.
0: It was a different one <laughs> that I was thinking of. Obviously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Keep going. Um,
2: Peter O'Toole. Correct for what? The Stuntman. Correct. John Hurt for the Elephant Man.
1: Correct and correct.
2: And one more. Uh Robert Duvall. You, you have a
1: fish. Robert Duvall yeah, for go, the Great Santini. You just ran it and Ooh. you won by doing it. It helps that yeah. you just you, looked
0: at the category. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Otherwise, it probably was gonna be a tie.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. That you got you got 17 of the 19 points. Todd got 14. I thought that was a pretty tough quiz, and you guys, you guys nailed it. Well done, well done. Like that wasn't an easy quiz. That wasn't a cupcake quiz, right?
2: No.
0: No. That was good.
2: I would well, have lost Zach's... had I not watched the YouTube clip, though. There's no way I would have gotten those.
0: <laughs> you wouldn't have gotten any of
2: them. Maybe John Hurt, but I think the other three, <laughs> that is, those are pretty obscure.
1: Todd, Todd got John Hurt for the Elephant Man, he got Peter O'Toole for the Stuntman, and he got Jack Lemon for something, and for that something. was it. But hey, I mean, I, I went with it because they're four pretty significant names, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Lemon, O'Toole, Duvall, and then John Hurt for the Elephant Man. Elephant Man was the most known of the four movies, so... Anyways, all right, Zach, you won trivia, so you get to start us off. Tell us what uh, what we're talking about here, what Raging Bull is all about, and uh, what makes it so great. All right, well, Raging...
2: Well, uh, I don't know if I can answer that last question, but I will say that... Okay, Raging, well,
1: then tell, tell us your experience <laughs> with the movie, then.
2: Raging Bull is uh, Martin Scorsese's... Uh, you know he's on his deathbed. You got uh, drug addicted Scorsese in the hospital. He's hit an all time low in his career. He had early success with Alice Doesn't Live Here, and Taxi Driver. But then he made New York, New York, which is his worst film. Let's be clear, okay? Because you know as much as we, as much as maybe I want to criticize Raging Bull, New York, New York is a terrible film. Todd apparently disagrees with that. But anyway, he reached an all time low. Then I don't know. Maybe Todd knows the story better than I do. But De Niro comes to him. With, the, with LaMotta's uh, autobiography or something like that. Scorsese of vows to make the film, and he makes uh, what is, you know, understandably a classic. I mean, it's a movie that has been oft referenced in film classes and on AFI lists, as Terry alluded to. It's the story of Jake LaMotta, who is the Bronx-born fighter, middleweight, Uh, and uh, De Niro famously lost a lot of weight for the movie, and then he gained a lot of weight back. It sort of started that trend of actors gaining a shit ton of weight for their roles in order to win an Oscar. Oh, excuse me, to actually be a really good actor. Um, And uh, it's shot in black and white. It does a lot of cool things with the camera and the ring, and then it speeds up the film, and then it slows it down. Holy shit, that's amazing. Um, Yeah, if you can tell, I'm not the world's biggest fan of this movie. So here's the thing is that I think this movie is overrated. I've gone back and forth, whether it's just my response to the movie, or maybe um, I'm just missing it. I haven't seen it. I went into this movie with an open mind. I wanted to be blown away by its greatness. I was not blown away by its greatness. In fact, it was, I've probably seen this movie, I mean, I've seen this movie at least five or six times, uh, because I keep looking for it. I keep looking for the greatness in it. It's a movie that's shown in film classes all the time, so I've seen it there, too. I just don't see it. Prove, tell me I'm wrong, I don't know, but it's a movie that I cannot uh, grasp in the same way that I can grasp Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, and The Departed. Those, those are the Scorsese, Mount Rushmore. This is a movie that I've never quite been able to understand why people love it so much, um, but De Niro is great in it. He is the best part of the movie. That is a well-deserved Oscar, certainly better than Jack Lemon as Scotty Templeton in whatever it was called, movie that neither of us have apparently seen.
1: By the way, it, it uh, Raging Bull is number four on the AFI list. It goes Citizen Kane, The Godfather, Casablanca, Raging number Bull. Number four? Then, then Singing in the Rain, Gone with the Wind, Lawrence of Arabia, Schindler's List, Vertigo, Wizard Jeez. of Oz. That's the top ten. Wow, so I'm definitely on a... Number four, really? Number four. Wow, that is crazy.
2: Well, okay, then I'm I'm wrong. So, you know, God don't listen to part anything two I see. was all
1: the way down to 32. I didn't realize it was that low. Anyways, yeah, number four. Number four, Ahead of Singing in the Rain, which I watched yesterday with my kid. He loved it. I mean, who doesn't love Make Them Laugh? It's the best. Anyways, Todd, redeem redeem uh, Raging Bull for us.
0: Well, I think Raging Bull currently is like number six on my top 100. I, I've always loved this movie. I, I remember seeing it on the big screen back when they had a, I, I forget what it was, like like 35 years or something. I, I saw it with uh, uh, 42 randomly. It was like a back to back like sports That's thing. a weird yeah. That's a yeah. weird double feature. Well it was the sports movie was at, at the time. But uh I, I also read the book. I mean I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of the movie. I'm a huge fan of like Jake lamotta's saga. It, like uh I really wanted uh, more a uh, more story because I think the book is fascinating. His childhood stuff when he's like in juvie and stuff and runs into like Rocky Marciano like uh, all that stuff is really interesting, but this movie in particular, it it focuses on such a, a small part of his life and then shoots forward to uh, the end of his uh, the end of his reign, kind of as a, a public figure. And I, it's it's brutal. It is a it's a movie that it's I, I guess it's hard to describe. It's not a sports movie. It's a it's a human drama with sports involved and about really unlikable people. But it really but it makes it something i don't know it's something special the black and white really punches it up and makes it so all the things that would normally look unrealistic look really realistic and i think it may be scorsese's best movie it's hard to say i mean i love goodfellas too but i mean this is this is right up there
1: yeah the black and white is is i'm glad you brought that up because i honestly don't know if i could picture this movie not in black and white it just wouldn't work um, the the story is like meant to be in black and white. I don't know why, but it is. Um, yeah, looking at looking at uh, our page on on dot uh, Zach, Todd, Adam, I'll give it four stars. I have it at three and a half. Um, that was a lie. Well, yeah, yeah was like I was la- just la- last week you said
0: you watched part <laughs> of it. and It was really good. and You wanted to review it. <laughs> so. um, this Parts is of it are gonna and- and- die.
1: Hearts and really and I would agree. I, I agree more with Zach on this. This is something where um, as you watch it, you know it's something that as you watch it, you are aware of the fact you're watching something important. And, and so you've got to always preface it with that. But at the same time, I mean, it, it's it can be kind of hard to get through. It, it's not it's not that easy of a movie to watch. Um, De Niro is, is has an outstanding performance at the heart of it um and and the performances are the heart of it um the boxing scenes are really um are really fascinating and um shot unlike anything else you know you you'd see in a in a uh, in an action scene like that um but i the the story has a tough time engaging me at times it really does so um so I, I'm, I'm one that's kind of closer to Zach I understand why it's important and I understand the, the like, Filmmaking achievement that it is And the groundbreaking performance that De Niro gives But I'm At the same time I'm not um, I, I don't see how it's There are other movies I would put as the masterpiece Before this
2: To me this is a, a classic Example of a movie that they tell you Is a great movie And so you're just supposed to be a good little German soldier and follow what, uh, you know, hair director says. And that's, you know, why I'm sure I gave you that, you know, I I sent my four star review to you because I'm sure when I was 19 years old, I was just instructed to love this movie. And again,
1: I have it as your number one of 1980. Would would you it? Change that right now?
2: Yes, although I I don't really know what my number one would be in 1980. I think 1980 is kind of a weak year, which maybe we can talk about in a second. But – it's just a movie that ironically see it's kind of funny you mentioned this i sort of think similarly about raging bull as i do vertigo i see i've never been overly impressed with vertigo either i kind of feel like that's a movie that people love to talk about and spout off as like this great movie and of course vertigo and the sight and sound poll a few years ago replaced citizen kane as the number one movie of all time voted on by critics and a lot of people were just kind of appalled by that decision maybe because you know the critics were just sick of voting citizen kane number one for the last 50 years i sort of agree with the With the critics, though, like, uh, Citizen Kane is clearly the best movie. Vertigo, you know, okay, it's fun to change, play around with things, but Vertigo to me is, like, it's sort of a chore to watch. It's not, like, a a fun movie. This is sort of the same thing. It doesn't grip me the way that other Scorsese movies do. It feels like an exercise, and it feels like you're supposed to appreciate the art of it instead of feel invested in the story.
1: I would agree with that. It's an, it's, it's, um... The, the watching of it is more art than it is the the movie going experience well this
0: is a, a painful movie about a, a guy who is a sports icon that uh, from a guy who hated sports so I mean Scorsese hates sports and yet he made this movie because it was an interesting movie about repression and about violence and about the mob I mean this is, these are all things that he loves but it's set on but this guy like he's I mean he's a boxer so it, it, it makes it less about the fun and more about, like, living in the life of that one character. But
1: well, like, I, I think a good companion piece with this, because of what you just... How you guys have kind of described the movie. A good companion piece to this is Wolf of Wall Street. Because, obviously, De Niro was Scorsese's guy of the time. And De Niro brought this story to him and said, Okay, I've been doing your movies... Now you need to do one for me. And this is what I want to do. And that's exactly what Leo did with Wolf of Wall Street. He brought the story to Scorsese and said, you don't want to touch this, but this is what I want to do. And you need to make this for me. And I think those are like two completely different movies where Wolf of Wall Street is, yeah, it's a cinematic achievement and it's a whole lot of fun to watch and, and see how it goes, how the story progresses. Where Raging Bull, and I guess it's just kind of the different stories of the different characters, but Raging Bull is a chore to watch to to get the artistic masterpiece that it is.
0: Would you have wanted to watch a fun movie about Jake LaMotta, About a guy who marries a 15-year-old and has to throw fights and, his, and gets into fights about his brother like f***ing his wife? I mean, I don't think I want to watch a fun movie about that. That's not what it's trying to be.
1: I'm not saying it, it needs to be fun I mean I'm just I'm just saying it's not it doesn't belong at number four <laughs> okay. I think part of the- I wouldn't put it as his best film
2: I think part of the problem that I had watching it, re-watching it this time is I agree with you, Todd. Like th- this, this was never going to be like a cheeky kind of wink at your wink at the screen type of fun movie. Like that, and this is kind of why I've always kind of questioned my personal distaste for this movie. Is it that I really dislike it or did Scorsese make a movie that was meant to be a, a a portrait of a repellent human being like if that's the case then maybe my uh initial reaction to it is more about Lamada than it is the filmmaking and I can certainly from a sort of objective standpoint see the greatness in the filmmaking it's obviously a well-made movie and pretty groundbreaking and important aesthetically as a milestone for you know 1980s movies but like so you know are you able to separate it I don't know. My problem with this movie is I find the, the the main character so reprehensible, so odious in every single way that the notion that we should feel bad for him uh, eludes me. Because what Scorsese says and what everyone says about this movie is this guy has um, self hatred. Okay, we see the self hatred of him banging his head in the prison cell. We get that. Okay, that's like you know obvious moment. But the 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 the, the assertion that there's self hatred is an inference about. Out the character and that inference also kind of says you should have sympathy for him and I have no sympathy for this guy he's abusive he's abrasive he batters his wife there's no redeeming qualities to him whatsoever and at the end of this movie I feel A vacuum in my soul watching it i i I cannot relate to this character at all there's zero redeeming thing and then to see the quote at the end of the movie marty's bible quote you know right out of catholic school is i i think kind of like a slap in the face like really so we're supposed to be watching this movie because this guy's a martyr like really we're gonna make this now some kind of weird christ allegory like I, i i don't get it i'm i'm lost but what do i know
0: I I don't well
1: have... and even you get you get into the, like the boxing scenes and and like the the famous quote from this is the uh, you never got me down Ray you never got me down well I mean it, it, it's that's like pulling from Rocky right there too one thing I will say about this movie is this is this movie came out in 1980 it feels more like a 70s movie than an 80s movie though like this I I think you that's could categorize this as like I would yes. agree I, I, I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. I think this is this. You could say this was the last '70s movie, even though it came out in 1980. One thing I was watching. Um, so the um, CNN put out the uh, the movies documentary series last summer, and uh, and I have it. I have it sitting on my DVR, and I revisit it every now and then. And I pulled up. I watched a, just the first bit of the the '80s segment, which was the first episode that they debuted, and this is the first movie they talk about. And I'm like, but that—that's not the '80s. I that—that mean, that, it doesn't fit with the rest of the decade. It's a '70s movie, which, like, like we said, I think it's a good thing. And Zach, I think you were onto something too, where um, I don't think this movie—you're—you're you're supposed to like the character. I think it's meant to be a movie about this reprehensible person. Um, I watched this movie with my wife. Uh, she'd never seen it before, and she was engaged the entire time. Now, you you hate the character the entire time, but it's one of those where you also can't look away too. So it's it's interesting how the the dichotomy there.
0: Yeah, I mean I mean this is the second straight podcast where Zack is shitting on a movie that he appreciates like the filmmaking but doesn't like the main character or the what the director's trying to say so he thinks it's a bad movie i'm not really sure that's a good way to go in your uh <laughs> crit- critical career but i don't know That's I don't kind have of a annoying. critical <laughs>
2: career what are you talking about i'm just a dude spouting off i don't
1: care yeah.
0: i mean okay so the back of the <laughs> yeah, you're book, only getting a
1: phd in film <laughs> studies that's that's it
0: the, the back of the book says meet jake lamotta thief rapist killer i mean that that is what the that's what his story is i mean if and if you can't get on board with that then i don't know why you even watch the movie
2: but the movie wants us to feel some kind of sympathy for him it wants us to sympathize with him or else why would you have scorsese having him banging his head in the jail why would you have the quote at the end about jesus why would you have unstable i the, mean it's
0: it's not trying to pull at your emotions
2: what is the point of the last 30 minutes of this movie except to generate some kind of bizarre sympathy for Jake LaMotta like You can't watch the the, the whole I like okay the last 30 minutes of this movie is maybe a flaw in itself We talk about in more depth later But like for me watching that sequence the whole the only the only reason why it's there is to make us feel bad for him to see How his life went awry because of the bad decisions he made and because his career went down the drain or whatever but like i feel like that's marty saying you should feel bad for this guy to some degree even though he did bad things i I just can't get on board with that he's a horrible human being and there are a lot of movies about bad people that you know i still like watching the movie this just isn't maybe
1: it's maybe it's a it's a look at look how far how far he's fallen there are
2: other things too. Look, you know, the thing is, I mean, I'm being hard on this movie because, you know, I, I wanna push the envelope a little bit. This is a podcast where we bring up points, you know. To, it's it, it's still in a way, I, I can understand why people value it and De Niro is amazing in it. Like, obviously he deserves the Oscar that year. It's one of the great performances of all time. If there's any reason to see the movie, it's De Niro. That's the most redemptive factor to me why to watch this movie is to see one of the great performances of all time and to see an example of how in the early 80s, a director did some cutting edge things aesthetically i'm just talking about from a pure like story story level but that's only one level of the movie i'll shut up can, although can we talk a little bit about the 1980 oscars
1: that's what i was going to get into next yeah so let's talk about the 1980 oscars um raging bull was nominated oh gosh how many times was it nominated it was nominated kind of all over the place but one, not two, for three, screenplay four, five six seven not for screenplay
2: eight we need to talk it about It got that. eight
1: nominations yeah it got eight nominations at one for best actor and best editing uh, the wonderful Thelma Schoonmaker, uh, and was nominated for Picture, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Director, Cinematography, and Sound. So, not nominated for screenplay. Todd, give your give your rant on that.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think we all know I'm not a Paul Schrader fan, but I think this is probably the best screenplay he ever wrote, and it, it's one that he had to he had to adapt uh, somebody else's screen. Somebody else had already written a screenplay, and he had to adapt it, and he added in the uh, Joey, like all the things that Joey does in this movie is what uh, the the writer of the book, Peter uh, Savage, wrote, did in the in the actual story. So, I mean, he completely reshaped it in order for it to have a brotherly aspect, too. Uh, I don't know. I think the screenplay is kind of a perfect screenplay, and I don't know how it couldn't have gotten nominated, especially in a year, like Zach said. is kind of weak.
1: Are, are you saying that, that Raging Bull should be nominated over the likes of coal miners daughter the stuntman and breaking morant breaker morant i mean (laughs) yes i'm saying (laughs) i have no idea what i'm talking about Uh...
2: (laughs) i mean of course it's Uh... ridiculous that breaker morant and the stuntman got the nomination i actually really like coal miners daughter in fact maybe that might be my number one of 80 i don't know but I think it was kind of a ballsy move to not nominate *Raging Bull*. I'm not sure why. Maybe there was some political, you know, animosity between Paul Schrader and the Academy. I'm not I don't sure. Paul Schrader
0: was nominated for *Taxi Driver* either, was he?
2: Exactly, exactly. That's the thing. He wasn't nominated for that either. I gotta say, I kind of like not nominating this movie for an Oscar for screenplay. I mean, okay, is it better than Breaker Morant? Probably. But, like, the screenplay (laughs) is the weakest part of this movie. Like, there's no memorable lines in it. It's not, like, the dialogue is not well written. There are jumps and lapses in the story that don't make a lot of sense. And then it becomes really repetitive at times, too. I feel like the screenplay could have gone in a lot of different directions because you do have interesting characters in it, but... Paul Schrader opts to not invest a lot of time in anyone other than Jake, so the movie, the story remains really kind of stale. And again, once you get to like the forty-five minute mark, it it's like it's the same thing over and over again. You essentially get exactly what's going on over and over again.
1: By the way, the other two movies that were nominated for best adapted screenplay were *The Elephant Man* and the winner was *Ordinary People*, which won best picture.
2: How is *The Shining* not nominated either? Like,
0: because it isn't that good. <laughs> Whoa. oh now we're talking shots hot fired cakes.
1: we may need a deep dive the shining before this is all said and done um so looking at uh this was another question i almost asked which was what are the four movies that were also nominated for best picture with raging bull can you guys name them
2: well i'm looking at it right now so that's not fair oh. to ask.
1: Well, Todd, but, you're not looking at it. You, I am, you know? too, actually. Ah, uh, dang it.
2: We're honest well, on this we've podcast. Already
1: mentioned mo- we've already mentioned most of them. The only one we haven't mentioned is Tess. Which
2: is a really good um, movie. Excellent movie. Better than Raging Bull.
0: Yeah, Roman Plans is totally a more, a more uh, like, moral character than Jake LaMotta, right?
2: Well, you know. <laughs> I... S- <laughs>
0: You got no response to that. Gotcha. I have
2: no response. Yeah, you, know, you, you got <laughs> no, me there. Oh
1: no, there's no way you can respond to that, Todd. Dude, <laughs> that was a. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a. Low you blow, shut me
2: up. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, does uh, I haven't seen ordinary people. Does ordinary people deserve a not the best picture of a raging bull? No. Well, Todd says obviously Todd's got it in his top ten of all time. Zach, what about you?
2: Uh, well, I haven't seen Raging Bull in a while either. I'd like to rewatch it. I remember really liking You liked... mean Ordinary
1: People? You just I'm watched it. Sorry, what did Raging I say?
2: Bowl. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant Ordinary People. You know what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> um, ordinary People is a good movie. I don't remember it being particularly a great movie. I feel like uh, it's a movie that probably is dated pretty badly in some respects. However,. Maybe Todd, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't ordinary people a pretty big influence on on Matty D and Ben when they wrote the screenplay for Goodwill Hunting? Like the psychology scenes in that movie? I wanna say I read that somewhere. The psychology scenes in ordinary people are really good i've sometimes seen I've, I've watched some of the youtube clips of that like the scene with donald sutherland and judd hirsch and timothy hutton here's the real question though okay let's say that timothy hutton was nominated for best actor in a leading role in 1980 like he should have been because you know the academy for some reason had prejudice against anyone under the age of 20 does Niro de- still
0: does in the acting category
2: absolutely does de niro beat timothy hutton who ended up winning best supporting actor
0: yeah, I, I don't think anyone was beating De Niro. I don't think I don't think Hutton like swept all the awards that year.
2: I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting debate. I think De Niro deserved to win, and he would have deserved to win even in that category. But the Academy clearly loved Ordinary People a lot more than Raging Bull. It is one of those. It's one of those decisions that people consider in respect, in retrospect, a mistake. But I don't know, I'd want to rewatch Ordinary People. I remember liking that movie quite a bit. I just think it's probably dated in some aspects, but I'd want to rewatch it. Terry, you should watch it. That should be one of your next uh movies. For uh, Miles. It's sitting
1: on my shelf. It's sitting right there. Ordinary People.
0: Ordinary so People not nominated for best editing. So, I mean that that is that makes it gives it one of those like Green Book kind of wins where it's just sort of like what <laughs>
1: It, well and how does i mean how does donald sutherland not get his oscar nomination for ordinary people i haven't seen it but i mean he still doesn't have an oscar nomination and probably will never get one
0: because i think they were trying to campaign him lead probably and i he really is a supporting character i don't think he was getting nominated in either of those categories so
2: well, let's say that Timothy Hutton is not made for Best Actor and loses to De Niro. Does that mean that Joe Pesci wins Supporting Actor in 1980? Because I think a very compelling case could be made for that.
0: Yeah, or Jason Robards would win his third in five years. It would probably have been Pesci.
2: Pull a, pull a Walter Brennan.
0: Yeah, there you go. How
1: about uh, Kathy Moriarty for Best Supporting Actress? She lost to Mary Steenburgen. should she have... Uh
0: been considered. I love Melvin and Howard. I think that's one of the best movies I year. I am totally fine with Mary Steenberg and winning that too.
1: Yeah, I don't have like a pretty weak uh weak lineup there. Yes. Resurrection and
2: Inside Moves. The classics uh from, from nineteen
1: eighty. <laughs> and Eileen Brennan being nominated for Private Benjamin, really? I think Resurrection and Inside Moves
2: are come to the stable territory, although we've talked about another movie <laughs> prior to this podcast that we won't mention but that's that seems like some come to the stable shit right there i think joe pesci deserved an oscar for this movie i mean timothy Hutton's really good but i have nothing bad to say about joe pesci uh he's really really good in this movie gets overshadowed unfortunately but this is a great performance by him
1: agreed agreed all right well are um anything else you want to say about the uh the oscars that year zach
2: well, I did rewatch De Niro's um, acceptance speech. Do you know the first person he thanked in his acceptance speech? I thought this was really interesting and weird.
0: <laughs> Jake? Probably? N-
2: no, that was the last person. you got to build up to that. The first person he thanked was the costume designer. I can't think of any reason why you would thank the costume designer for this movie. He doesn't wear that much in this movie. Yeah, I, I'll um, do,
0: like 90% of the scenes, he's not wearing pants. Like, I mean, he's wearing boxers and a wife beater, like, the entire movie.
2: <laughs> I think uh, De Niro's social anxiety becomes really apparent when he watches acceptance speech. Like, he's really uncomfortable on stage. He tries some jokes that are, like, borderline Jake LaMotta jokes in a nightclub, bad level. Um, but it, he's, like, he's definitely not comfortable being up there at all. And it's, it's a pretty, pretty an interesting moment.
1: I'll have to watch that one. Now this is De Niro's second Oscar, right? Because he wins for um, Godfather Part Two as well,
0: right? Yeah.
2: I guess the I guess the question is, and we so this is a good question too. What what is what do twenty twenty voters say about this movie? I mean, did they? I think at this point twenty twenty voters clearly give the best director Oscar to Scorsese over Robert Redford. But does this movie get backlash because, and maybe we can talk about this, it, you know, it really devalues the female characters in the movie. It's this perspective of a guy who's abusive and mean-spirited, and maybe that gets in the way of Oscar voters. Or is that just me putting my spin on things? And does this, you know, get the recognition that it deserves that, you know, the number four AFI film of all time?
0: Yeah. I don't know that there's that all, all that much difference between AFI voters and Academy voters. I, I, I think it probably would have pretty much sweep the awards if it was voted on now.
2: But pretty clearly in 1980... I, I would agree. Pretty clearly in 1980, the Academy also hated uh, The Shining. So I feel like The Shining versus Raging Bull is a more interesting debate than Ordinary People versus Raging Bull.
0: Or The Empire Strikes Back.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point.
1: I, th- I think we've seen several times over the last decade even how the Academy doesn't necessarily reward what will go down as the best movie of the year, but picks what kind of, like... Won the moment. Captured... Yeah, won the moment, exactly. And and that happens over and over. I mean, you look at King's Speech over uh, over Social Network, or, uh, or... Crash. I mean, Crash yeah. over Brokeback Mountain, or Forrest Gump over Pulp Fiction. I mean, there, there there's a movie that is... The movie that will go down as one of the greatest movies of all time, and then the movie that won Best Picture, and I think 1980 is definitely one of those one of those years where everyone remembers. Oh, Raging Bull is one of the greatest movies of all time, but ordinary people won won Best Picture, so I mean, it's just one of those things that happens. Well, let's get into some um, let's get into some awards, unless you had something to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's let that's what I was just about to do. Let's get into uh, let's get into what we. Uh, our our normal uh, shenanigans here as we uh, as we deep dive this. Um, I, I like how the last couple deep dives we've had we've had a really in depth discussion about the movie before we get into this, and then this can just kind of be the the fun uh, the fun piece that we tack on to the end. Um, but we, we actually get get a good in depth discussion of the movie, which I like.
2: We had a recasting too. Do we want to start with that or?
1: Yeah, let's start with okay. that. So. If this movie were made today, if they were to make a a new Jake LaMotta movie today, who would play? And it looks like we're we're uh, recasting five characters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So starting with, I mean, you gotta you gotta find a Jake LaMotta. So, uh, who would play Jake LaMotta today, Todd?
0: Uh. I don't know that anybody could really play it the way De Niro did. I decided with mine to narrow it down a little bit. I went with all people who have been in Scorsese movies or stuff before, and so that left me with Adam Driver. I think he has the stature Ooh. to definitely play Jake. I I don't know. Emotionally, it would be interesting to watch, but I think that I think he could pull it off. And because it, it, it's I mean it's and it's an impossible role to recast. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Zach, who do you got?
2: Well, I, I decided for my uh, recasting to do something a little different. I, I, I wouldn't want want to necessarily watch a remake of this movie. I'd want to rewatch a story about the making of this movie because I think that's in many ways more interesting than Raging Bull as a movie. So the actor that I had cast as Jake slash Bob was Joaquin Phoenix, but I will say that I really like that Adam Driver pick, and I think that's a better pick than Joaquin Phoenix
1: yeah i thought about adam driver um he he definitely fits uh, the one reason i didn't pick him is jake lamotta feels like he's kind of he's he's not like like adam driver's like six four right he's a tall dude and and he could bulk up for it but i don't feel like jake lamotta was that tall um i had two guys in mind um one of them is jake gyllenhaal um who's done a boxing movie before so he showed that he could bulk up and do that type of role and he has really shown over the last like five or six years that he's one of the best actors we've got right now uh the other one that i thought would be interesting is someone like sebastian stan i mean mm. this feels like somewhere be- somewhere between the winter soldier and uh jeff Galulli from Itania. This is a good pick like like combine those two together and you would you would have Sebastian Stan playing Jake LaMotta so that's what I went with I like it I think I like that one more than Jake Gyllenhaal even like that that feels like some like something that would be like that that feels like a career defining performance for someone like Sebastian Stan where Jake Gyllenhaal would just be another role okay Joey played by Joe Pesci originally Jake LaMotta's brother Todd who you got
0: uh so my scorsese uh veterans are one of them is too old it's stephen graham i i he has the, these kind of roles like in his pocket like he he's great at playing those kind of roles but uh i mean i'm with jonah hill I, I i think that'd be it'd be bizarre i'm not sure the uh the he could be that much of a badass necessarily but i think that he could he could pull off like i mean joey talks really fast and i, I think i think uh jonah hill could do that a, really well and He's, he's been the sidekick in one of his movies before. I, I would love to see it.
1: Yeah, yeah that was that was on my short list for sure. Me too. Zach, who do you got? Uh,
2: for my role of Joey Slash, uh, uh, Joe Pesci, I went with Macon Blair, who's the main actor in Blue Ruin. He might be a little too old now, but he could kind of play that nice side supporting character. Now, 20 years ago, Paul Giamatti could have kicked this role's ass. He would have been really good in it.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well he's uh, been the ring man before. I, it's true. Uh that's true, yeah. I went with uh for Joey, I went with Ben Foster. Um he's kind of a shorter guy, and he's pick. one of those guys that can really do anything. And I would love to see him pull off something like this.
0: See him with curly black hair.
1: Yeah, yeah, dude. He could do anything. I love ben he could do anything. Yeah. All right. So yeah, Sebastian Stan, Ben Foster. I like that combination. Um, okay. Vicky originally played by Kathy Moriarty. Todd, who you got?
0: Okay. So my uh, going back to my Scorsese casting, I have well, I Margo Robbie and Chloe Grace Moretz were two that I thought about, but I don't think neither are the right age. So I went with. Uh, the daughter of somebody who's been in a Scorsese movie and that's uh Tessa Farmiga. I, I feel like I feel like Vicky is kinda of bland most of the movie and I I think that Vera Farmiga, it would be great in that role, but she's obviously way too old so I went with her too daughter.
2: Old. What was Tessa Farmiga in? Of Scorsese's.
0: I no, I just I just said I went with the daughter of someone who's in a Scorsese. Movie, oh, okay. So I don't Sorry. think she has been in I don't okay. think she was in Boardwalk Empire or anything.
1: All right, Zach, what do you got?
2: This is the pick I'm proudest of. Uh, my Vicky slash Kathy Moriarty had to be with someone who was very white and angelic to emphasize the Madonna whore complex that everyone talks about with this movie. So I went with the whitest actress I know, and that is Mia Viaskaska. White, that? blonde hair. The Alice in Wonderland. Oh,
1: that's how you pronounce oh, that? Oh, Mia Waskaska. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: I, how do you say her last name? I don't know. Mia, Wasikowska, Wasik- I think, right? I, I don't know. I just remember Meryl Streep pronouncing her name at the 2011 Golden Globes as Vyaskowska or something like that. So, I don't, I
0: don't The whitest that. actress I know is Tilda Swinton.
2: Yeah, but she's too old.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, she's very I Caucasian, think Wasikowska though. is too, now, too. She's probably 10 yeah, she's years like, I
1: would. She's like 30. Wasikowska's like 30, right? Yeah. So so was yeah. so Kathy Moriarty. Mori- Let's get real. Moriarty was twenty. She was twenty when this movie was made.
2: Well, I mean, I yeah. cast Joaquin Phoenix. I don't care about age. Okay, I'm just age <laughs> is just a number.
1: Uh, well, my pick was Chloe Grace Moretz, but I'm gonna try and pick nice. somebody else. instead. well,
0: already she was that. in a
1: Scorsese
2: movie. That's who you should have got, yeah. Todd. That I, th- was I the said pick. her. I. I um, that was
1: one
0: of the ones I was considering.
1: Yeah, uh, if I'm gonna go with somebody else um another one that popped up that is also 20 years old so same age uh sabrina carpenter from girl meets world she played the friend nice uh she'd be she'd be somebody else but i don't know if she necessarily has the acting chops to pull it off that's why <laughs> i wouldn't think it's kathy Moriarty's minutes.
0: first role like i mean the, i guess i think yeah. the story goes that pesci found her like at a like at a nightclub or something and and like just like said we need to get this girl she looks like she looks like vicky <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, that that yeah. That really does it if she looks like her. Anyways, <laughs> that's that's like the hardest one to recast right there. I want to know yeah. about
2: Joe Pesci at a nightclub finding Kathy Moriarty. That sounds interesting uh, too. This is why a making of the movie is more
1: fascinating than a just straight well, reboot.
0: Pesci wasn't even acting at the time. I don't know. All
1: right. Next, we've got Salvi, played by Frank Vincent originally. Uh, the late, great Frank Vincent. Todd, who you got?
0: Well, that is a great casting because Frank Vincent is perfect in those kind of roles. Yeah. And the current actor that would play that the best is Michael Shannon. Oh,
1: good call. Good call. You just wanted to hate looks just like by Frank Vincent. At him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Zach, who do you got?
2: I went with Andy Garcia. I can't really say why. I just
1: sort
2: of thought I don't know. (laughs) All
0: right. Yeah, he's a mobster.
2: Yeah.
1: Now, one of the things I always do when I'm doing this is I always look at people who are the similar age. And Frank Vincent was actually he he's looked the same forever. Like he looked the same for a long time. And he was actually fairly young in this. Um, So someone who was around the same age that I thought would actually be able to pull this off of being just this mobster, awesome dude. Is uh, Scott Con, like, like have the gravitas of being able to pull off that role? I
0: guess he is um, old man, and it's
1: a, and it's a con. So.
0: <laughs> I could see it. I mean, yeah, he needs to get more, more work, and not always be working on network TV.
1: Yeah, yeah. Stop doing Hawaii Five O and actually do something good. Yeah, because Frank Vincent was what forty three when he did this. He was forty three. Hmm. He looked the same when he was on The Sopranos. So, all
0: right. Next, I also, I also thought
2: about Ray Romano. I mean, maybe he's a little old too, but I really liked him in The Irishman, and I think in the right role he could play a gangster pretty well.
1: In the right role, I don't know if it's this role. Maybe but in not. The right but, role. <laughs> uh, I just threw that
2: out there. I don't know.
1: All right. Next, we've got Tommy, who was played originally by the late great. Um, Nicholas Colasanto Coach By the way, I have to mention Yeah, it's Coach And I have to mention I had no idea this was Coach when I watched it It wasn't until Todd said that we were recasting Tommy I'm like, well, who played Tommy? Oh, it was was Coach? (laughs) What? (laughs) Because he must have lost like 100 pounds Between playing Tommy and playing Coach Only like four years later Um, And tragically died like what? Three seasons into coach which was really sad coach was a character on on cheers Cheers
2: for any of uh, you under the age of 30 who have no idea what we're talking about
0: so either for cheers or raging bull you're saying he should have gotten awards recognition for his weight gain or loss exactly exactly yeah And, and and cheers cheers
1: is on all of it is on netflix right now if you want to check it out amazing sitcom from the 80s awesome anyways so todd who do you got playing tommy
0: so this wasn't an easy one i I feel like tommy looks really old but he really i guess isn't all that old uh i think he kind of looks like the colonel from uh boogie nights but so but yes the scorsese movie uh cast i went with alec baldwin i really didn't have a good one there's no real anyone in that age range i feel like it's a perfect harvey keitel role but you know he's obviously way too old now so alec baldwin's who i had to back into
2: I thought you were going to say right, he looks like the colonel from KFC, which he also looks like. <laughs> All right. I oh,
0: went yeah.
2: I, I went with it as a tribute to Coach RIP. You're in our hearts. You're in our memories. I went with Ted Danson because, you know, he's old at this point. He could pull it off.
1: I thought you were going to say in honor of Coach, you went with Craig T. Nelson.
2: Oh, uh, I was thinking about Craig T. Nelson, but I actually <laughs> think he's like 85 years old. So I think he's like maybe a little too old, but... Craig T. Nelson, also great character actor as coach. Another show that no one under the age of 30 would know what we're talking about.
1: I know, I know. Man, that was a great show. That was a great show. Do you remember like the, the weird end of that show when he uh, ended up coaching like in the NFL for an oh. expansion team that they made up? Terry, I never I, watched the, or- the show. The, the only- Orlando Breakers was the team, the NFL team that he coached. And I remember... There was a specific episode, I remember, where they were debating, I think it was a 96 NFL draft, um, on whether or not they had the number one pick on what they were going to pick Keyshawn, and Keyshawn, they called him up and he was like, hell no, I'm not playing for Orlando. And so they ended up picking Kevin Hardy instead.
2: That's awesome that you know that. <laughs> I never watched Coach, but my, my frame of reference for Coach is, it's the show that's on the TV in the movie The Pelican Brief, when Stanley Tucci comes in to assassinate John Hurd, and the blood splatters off his head onto the TV with Jerry Van Dyke's face on it, so I've always been a little freaked out by the show Coach, because I think of the Pelican, that scene in The Pelican Brief. He's going he coaching on random a Minnesota State
1: University. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Any, that's um, a big Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, 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 I'm just putting off the fact that I have the exact same thing as Todd did. The two names I thought of were Alec Baldwin and Harvey Keitel. Um, wow. <laughs> no, no joke. I wrote down staggled. Alec Baldwin. Yeah, I went. I, I, I wrote down Alec Baldwin, and the other thing I thought of was, well, he kind of Tommy kind of looks like Harvey Keitel in The Irishman. Yes. So, so that's what made me think of Harvey Keitel. So, I say Harvey Keitel. With the with the age the, the age aging right. from the Irishman done uh, to play to play Tommy, perfect. that's what I'm going with. Yeah. Okay. Anyways I, I
2: know we didn't cast Janeiro. I really wanted to, but Janeiro would have to be played by Zac Efron, right?
0: <laughs> or or Jared Leto because he felt like destroying something beautiful.
1: <laughs> that's perfect. That is perfect. Well, in that case, Brad Pitt's got to be uh, Lamada, right? Or he, he could still. Edward like Norton. Yeah. Thirties. Edward Norton. Edward Norton is Lamada. Well,
2: we're also avoiding the obvious here. What about Miles Christian Teller. Bale? Well, Christian Bale's too old now. But this, you know, ten. It's a know, Miles Teller role bit.
0: for sure. I wasn't going to say it because it was too easy.
1: Are you? Are you thinking what was the boxing movie he was in? Bleed for this. Bleed for this. Bleed for this. That you predicted was gonna be an Oscar movie, and then they, uh, their 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 people found it and uh, and retweeted it. That was pretty awesome, by the way.
0: Well, he's about the right age now too. I think he's what like in his mid thirties. I think Niro was thirty six. He's thirty three now. It'd be about there it'd be about right.
1: All right, let's get into the rest of our uh, our categories here for our deep dive. Uh, highest war performance. This isn't the best performance. This is the most irreplaceable performance. I'm going to go first. Because I think um, as good as De Niro is, the most irreplaceable is Joe Pesci. I mean, this role is built for Joe Pesci. And I don't know. This was the hardest one to recast. Because it is so hard to find someone that can do what Joe Pesci does other than Joe Pesci. And and it was so perfect to have this this little spitfire that um and and as i was watching it i was really struck by how he has the exact same fire and tenacity that jake does just without all the physical traits and that's that's so hard to find and joe pesci is i mean he's perfect for that and i don't know if you could replace him with anybody so joe pesci is my highest war zach how about you
2: my Highest War is also Joe Pesci. I, my, my, uh, I wish I could go with someone else, but I have to echo a lot of your sentiment, Terry. My hottest take of this movie is I, I leave it, you know, after viewing it last night, I, I left the movie thinking Pesci gave, like, the better performance in the movie, in, in a way. I mean, there's, you know, obviously the brute physicality of De Niro, but, like, Pesci's got, like, the face like movement, you know, and like the the devastation that, that he has and the the sort of looks of despair and just incredulity that he has to listen to this maniacal, pathological brother of his um, and he just goes along with it. Like he's a fascinating character, I think the most interesting part of the movie, and that is absolutely the most irreplaceable performance because low-key, if you watch that last scene, he also ages in a really amazing way that he never gets credit for. He loses a lot of weight and gets a lot of hair sun. Somehow, and looks very different. Um, but he is worthy of an Oscar for this movie. It, that is, I think, low-key the highest war performance.
1: And this was really his breakout too. I mean, looking at his IMDb page, he had two uncredited roles before this, and then a role in a movie, The Death Collector, in
0: 1976. That was the whole reason why they got him was because they saw him in that role. They thought that was the yeah. perfect t- to be opposite De Niro.
2: Interesting.
1: Yeah. So so I mean this was really what what shot him into stardom too. So
0: yeah, I was going right, to say Todd. I was going to say Pesci too because I it, it's a role that he has made his niche now. I mean, he he mm. it, it really blends into, you know, Tommy in a lot of ways. I mean, you just believe him as a guy who's like walking the streets having to like barter his way into like mob connections and a guy who can be there and act like a badass in front of a guy who's physically imposing over him. I, I, Pesci's perfect in the role, so I'll, I'll just go with that. I and mean, even though obviously De Niro, it's you. I can never see anybody else pulling that off like that. But I mean, Pesci, I, I think it's his best performance ever, and I don't think it's really that close.
1: Did we all just agree? I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's go to let's go on to the. Other side of the spectrum, worst performance. Uh, Zach, who do you have? Uh,
2: all right, well, get ready. I'm, I'm, I'm going all all out. I'm going Kathy Moriarty. She's not good in this movie, okay? Didn't deserve the Best Supporting Actress nomination, in part because she doesn't look 15 at all. Now, okay, if she was 20, that's one thing, but she doesn't remotely look that young. She doesn't emote the really... The
0: 13-year-old said he pimps out.
2: That's true. I mean... <laughs> That's absolutely a valid point as well. I don't know, maybe teenage girls in the 50s in, looked different. I don't know, 40s and 50s. But, like, she doesn't look the part at all, and there's just sort of this empty, sort of vacuous expression on her face, and we never really know what she's thinking, why she stays with this guy. Maybe she did two-time him. We don't really know because she does go out with Salvi on that one time, And but we don't know because... Paul Schrader doesn't give her any sort of dialogue or you know expressiveness with her role, so maybe it's Paul Schrader's fault. But I'm just not a big. I, I. I. She's not memorable to me in this movie. Um, it's not really one of the great performances. And every time I'm on screen, I want to understand her, and I just can't. And she doesn't look 15. Really, that's the biggest reason. She doesn't look 15 in the, in the first part so, of the movie. So, but, it, it, okay, it... let
0: me ask you. Like, so in Manhattan, did you feel the same way about Meryl Hemingway? Because this is like the similar, same kind of thing. It's a really like really bland role that is someone that was really young and good looking and that's what they they gave her an oscar nomination for it like it's a, it's really the same role
2: i disagree i think muriel hemingway had a lot more to do in that movie so again maybe it's not kathy no. moriarty's fault but well, okay. right? are you kidding me really hemingway had like dialogue in this movie what is what is vicky Lamata ever say in this movie like she's
0: withdrawn i don't know It's it's it, i think they're withdrawn. really similar roles and i think they're both really good but okay whatever
1: Maybe it's just, just a low-hanging fruit. I do For the first time recently, yeah. Muriel Hemingway is really good. I don't know if she deserved an Oscar nomination, but she's good because she's just sort. She of, like, looks closer to her age than Kathy Moriarty does. I yeah, will say that. That's true. <laughs> All right, Todd. Worst performance.
0: Uh, so I have two. I'll, I guess I'll say one in case Terry has the other one. I went with Johnny Barnes as Sugar Ray Robinson. Because he has, like, one facial expression the entire time. doesn't matter if he's losing or if he just won or if he's getting his face beat in. It's always the same look. He doesn't even really move like a boxer. And he kind of looks like Teddy Bridgewater. So that's my worst performance. (laughs) He... He looks
1: like Teddy Bridgewater, huh?
0: I think he does. Wow.
1: Who was your other one?
0: Uh, uh, Jake's first wife. Okay. Oh, that's
1: a good one. Yeah, because
0: yeah, I think she's one. like but, out, uh, Amanda Plummer level, like over the top screaming, and it, there's really like no gauge of where she's going with that. But that's about it.
1: That's a better pick. Okay, that that is a better pick because my pick was Johnny Barnes as Sugar Ray Robinson. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Not because he looks like reason... Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> Not because he looks like Teddy Bridgewater. Honestly, the original Ted, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson looks more like Teddy Bridgewater than he does. No, the reason I'm saying it is because I, I and I thought this when I first saw the movie too. Um, I, I I I've seen like documentary footage of Sugar Ray Robinson, and this dude looks nothing and boxes nothing like Sugar Ray Robinson. Like, Sugar Ray Robinson was, like, the fastest, quickest guy ever in the ring. And this guy is just kind of a lousy fill-in. It's like, oh, hey, we found a black guy that boxes. Let's make him Sugar Ray. has it, 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 it nothing like Sugar Ray Robinson actually was. Like, he was the quickest, fastest. Like, he was, like, the Floyd Mayweather of his time. And and we just get this guy, and he was a good-looking dude, too. And so we get this ugly-looking dude who's just going to brawl it out in the ring with Jake LaMotta. That's not who Sugar Ray was. That's why I'm saying Sugar Ray Robinson.
0: I agree. That was <laughs> Obviously. all part of my thought process.
1: <laughs> dude, what is going on with us today?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think we agreed on three of the castings that was on. Amazon.
1: <laughs> I know. This is weird. Well, no, two. We agreed on uh, on Chloe Grace and, uh, and Alec Jonah Baldwin. Hill. but. I thought of Jonah Hill. I didn't say him. I said Ben Foster, remember?
0: Oh, that's right.
1: Which I like better. Okay, favorite minor character. Todd, who do you got for this?
0: I went with Mario, who is, like, uh, I think he's, like, the trainer, I guess. Because he's, like, incredibly loyal and... Uh, he was, like, crying as hard as Jake was after he had to throw the fight, but he just wasn't as loud about it. And he, like, tries to slap him back to, f- uh, in the face back into shape, like, during that fight as if, uh, it was really gonna matter. And he was never suspecting of f***ing his wife. I-, I, think Mario is low-key, like, the coolest character in the movie. And, I, I don't know, his name in real life is actually Mario, too, which I think is cool.
2: <laughs> I noticed that.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's my favorite minor character.
1: Alright, I'm gonna go with, uh i'm gonna go with bernie allen as a comedian i don't know i just think he's funny and it's really interesting how this like this is the one scene we get of a stand-up comedian that jake ends up spending the rest of his life trying to emulate after he's done in the ring so uh, just being this insult comic from from the stage so yeah i think i think it, it it's it's noteworthy to say to say him so i'm gonna go with the comedian
2: yeah, is so is that why Jake opens the club? Because again, what, we'll talk about flaws, but I, I have no clue why Jake opens up a comedy club. He's about the least funny person possible. So is it because he sees that comedian? That's a conspiracy theory that I kind of like. And he's he's impressed by the comedian. I thought the comedian was terrible, by the way. I thought his jokes were awful. <laughs> like he's insulting the woman there. Hey, you applaud for me why, or what? You know, I, applaud, I I speak for you, why you applaud for me or you know, he's terrible.
1: No, he I said, didn't say his jokes were good. He says, just said it was It was a fun character.
2: He says, give me a laugh, lady. I laughed at you when I came in. No, excuse me, when you came in. Excuse me. I wrote that line down because I thought it was just so terrible. Um,
1: All right, Zach. Sorry, you got?
2: sorry. Okay. Also, I have a suggestion. Can we name this award uh, the uh, Big Tim Best Minor Character Award?
1: <laughs> the Big Tim Award. I the, like it.
2: The Big Tim All Award. Right. Yes. I'm in. Because... I like, you know, ideally it's a character that you could maybe speculate for 30 minutes about their life. And there's absolutely a character in this movie that appears in one scene that, uh, to me, um, opened up a whole wide range of possibilities about this person's life. And, and that is Rita Bennett as Emma Miss Forty-Eights. Wow. I mean, when she comes to this movie, it's like, I want to know more about this person. I want to know more about who she is, why she's performing at... Uh, Jake's club. Obviously, she's in a relationship with Jake to some degree because he takes her to his car afterwards, and I mean, Miss Forty that is a movie that I want to see more of. Just like Big Tim, I want to know more about that character, I want to know more about that world. Also, I want to go back to Todd's pick of Mario. On IMDb, Mario is listed as the seventh character in the cast list. Honestly, I didn't even know who Mario was until you said it. Like, when you said Mario, I was like, who is Mario in this movie? And I still am not really sure I could, if there was a lineup of characters that I could pick out who Mario was.
0: <laughs> I guess you just, I, I like, zoned kind out for the boxing
1: <laughs> Yeah, don't, I low-key agreed to that, too.
2: Don't you agree that Miss 48 deserves her own movie? She's great. She, like, comes off the bench, you know? She's draining threes. She's awesome
0: what about jake jr i i I thought about him because he has a really cheesy smile in their family picture in miami at the end i was like what the hell does that guy end up doing in his life
2: probably lots of psychotherapy
0: (laughs) probably
1: (laughs) all right next we have biggest stick man is this the big tim award too I don't know.
0: Oh. This is the Big Tim subcategory of three. Uh, three sub-categories.
2: We didn't give Stickman to Big Tim. I didn't think we were going to go there in that podcast. Maybe we did.
1: <laughs> All right, I'm going. I'm going first on this one. Uh, Biggest Stickman. I'm going Salvy. Um, he's able to like score any woman in town, and he's able to talk. Um, he, he's able to talk Vicky out of the out of the house like even after she's married to go out on the town and who knows what's going to happen from there. Um, yeah. Salvi seems to be like just the biggest pimp around. So he's the biggest dick man.
2: It's not bad.
0: Yeah. That was my pick too. All right. Dude. (laughs) I thought he's just like a super smooth operator. I, I mean, he, he can manipulate anybody and yeah, I, I like Frank Vincent. I mean, he's, he's a machine. He's, he's, he's perfect in that role. All right, Zach, do you have something different?
2: You both missed the obvious one, and that is uh, Kevin Mahon as uh, Tony Gennaro. I mean, when you spend a good 10 minutes of this movie talking about how good-looking this guy (laughs) is, and when even uh, Jake LaMotta says, I don't know whether to (laughs) f*** him or fight him, that means he's getting it in. It's good-looking. Now, I don't know about after the fight. Maybe not so much anymore. Not good-looking
0: anymore.
2: (laughs) Not good-looking anymore, but
1: uh, prior to the fight, he wins Stickman. Easily. well played.
0: That's a good one. Well played.
1: All right. Following up, Biggest Stickman is Biggest Douchebag. Todd, you're
0: first. Uh, I went with Salvi again. Because, I mean, he tries to take Jake's wife. And he acts like he's like this sort of like important mob guy. But he's really just like a low level guy. Because, I mean, I think Joey would have gotten whacked if, if he actually wasn't important, guys, after he like beat him with that pole outside the nightclub and then like slammed his head in the car like I, I don't I mean he would have gotten whacked if uh, if he actually was an important guy but he carries himself like he's a boss but he's just a douche I mean he has no problem throwing other people under the bus and like arranging people to uh, throw fights again perfect casting Frank Vincent is killer in that role it's a good
1: call it's a good call Zach who do you got
2: uh, there's a lot of nominees for this category I, I think uh, Salvi is, is, is obviously a really good one um, I was thinking about the comedian because, like I said, I thought his jokes were, were pretty lame. Um, I, you know, I, th- I think the obvious pick is Jake LaMotta because he might actually be the biggest douchebag in movie history. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb though and say Joey because when he's, I-, I can't get it out of my mind how like when Jake calls him on the phone and in that phone booth to try to reconnect with him he doesn't say anything on the other line what does joey says say he says your mother sucks big elephant (laughs) or something like that that's a that's a douche thing to say he doesn't even know who's on the other line like what if it's a police officer or something or what if it's salvi you know like he thinks it is i don't know in other words i don't have a good douchebag for this movie because there's there's too many i just wanted to bring up that scene which is a really funny scene
1: That was good. That was good. <clears throat> I went with your first instinct, and that was uh, Jake LaMotta. He, he, like you said, he's one of the biggest douchebags ever. Uh, he's he's horrible. <laughs> he is he is horrible, and and it goes back to our original conversation about how this is a character who really doesn't have any redeeming qualities. That's what a douchebag is all about, and so, I mean he's the only one i could go with with uh with biggest douchebag
2: yeah actually there's one more too that i thought of as well and that is the judges at the jimmy reeves fight who make who declared jimmy oh, reeves the winner that's very douchey so.
1: <clears throat> all right now possibly the most important category of them all zach who would nicholas cage play
2: Ooh, that is a really hard question because <laughs> i would love to see nicholas cage in a wide variety of roles from this movie um i f- think i'm not sure of a good answer to this question can i defer all right
1: then yeah i'll go i'll go first okay. then my i would say nicholas cage would play fat jake lamada yeah that that's that's what I'm going with. <laughs> not not young, not the boxer Jake LaMotta, just fat old Jake LaMata. He could have played that's young it. Jake
0: Lomata at one point in his career.
1: At one point in his career, sure. But right now, he would play fat Jake Lomata, go nuts, bang his head against the wall, yeah. and be a stand up comedian. That's I mean that's pretty much what Nicolas Cage is right now, right?
0: Todd, how about you? I went with Tommy because that's one of those like old man roles that you need to act like you're the boss when you're when you're in the when you're in the scene and I don't know I can see him doing that like in it, younger Nick Cage did this a few times with like Sonny or Kiss of Death where he was like he was sort of like the crime boss but it was he was always like a a low level drug dealer or something like that so I think it'd be really fun if he did something like that and I I mean I could see him doing it I mean he's the money.
1: So he would uh, steal the Declaration of Independence by day and uh, fix fights by night?
0: Yes. Yes, a true American. <laughs>
1: uh, Zach, what are you thinking now?
2: Alright, I went with Frank Adonis as Patsy because, like Mario, I have no recollection of that character at all. And if Nicolas <laughs> Cage was in it, he would make the character instantly more memorable.
1: That's true. He would, uh, outside of like the top like three actors, he would make any other character more memorable than mm-hmm. who's actually playing them. Agreed. Okay, so uh, let's talk now uh, flaws, anything outdated, or conspiracy theories.
2: <laughs> I like how we're have com- combining that.
1: <laughs> I mean, they're, that, they're all kind the, the, the of the put gripes. together, right?
2: You can just call them the Gripes, maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah. The Gripes. I like it. I like it. The Big Tim Award for Gripes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I wouldn't call it Big Tim Award, but be Big Tim Award.
1: Well, I mean, any he, he, he be kind Big of Tim won award. every award when we talked about <laughs> Requiem, so... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Alright, what do you guys got? Anything?
0: Uh, well, I mean, I think the fight scenes actually kind of don't look all that realistic sometimes. Like, the ar- their arms are just sort of flailing around sometimes, and they're not really landing punches. I- that kind of annoyed me. Um... I, I, th- I think, uh, I don't know if it's a sp- conspiracy theory or what, but, I, I mean, I think Pesci, like, always c- puts the entire group in danger by going off on someone in every movie he plays, really. Like, he'll end up just, like, beating somebody up for no reason, necessarily. Is it, I, I don't know if that... I mean, he does that in Casino, he does that in Goodfellas. You could argue he does that in, like, Home Alone and Home Alone 2. Um, I think Old Fat, uh, um... Jake looks a lot like Tony Soprano with that hat and his cigar. I I could not get it out of my head. I was
1: thinking he was looking a lot like James Gandolfini in this movie.
0: I also think it's a really strange first date to go on mini-golf. That could not have been Jake's idea. He looks so out of place. I mean, I can't even remember if he was wearing pants in that scene. Or a shirt. I don't know. It's just, like, it's really odd. And I also think it doesn't age well that they, they fought... He fought Sugar Ray three times with only two weeks in between. Like that would, I mean, I that's unheard of. Like, I can't imagine that anything close to that happening now.
1: All the mini golf scene for the first date was missing. Was you're gonna die,
0: clown? <laughs> right. Yeah, he, I mean, he yeah, he lost, he totally lost it under that little <laughs> church thing. I don't know how I don't know how you lose the ball. The church was only like three feet long. But whatever. <laughs> that's all I got.
1: Um. All right, so uh, conspiracy theory, I say that um that when Joey had to give up, you know, backing Jake and had to live life on his own, he ended up in a life of crime since he was already fixing fights and in that life of crime anyways and ended up meeting a man named Marv and started the Wet Bandits.
2: They were in Chicago and, uh, though. Although they uh, were moved, in New York he moved though. There. Later they went to yeah. New York.
1: Later, they went to New York, and he knew his way around New York quite well. So oh, that's uh, true. So uh, that that's that's my conspiracy theory. All right, Todd, you mentioned something about the fights. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Better fight scenes: Rocky or Raging Bull?
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. Rockies are more exciting because they're supposed to be, but I, I don't, I mean, in terms of realism, I don't think Rocky's fights look all that much better. Like, you can totally tell he's he's just swinging his arm into the middle of the air, so... I think the later Rocky movies look look better as fight scenes, but...
1: Better opponent, Jimmy Reeves or Spider Rico? <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Spider Rico was probably a better opponent, though
1: probably probably
0: i don't think jimmy reeves would ever come to jake's comedy club (laughs) like a later movie or something
1: (laughs) yeah I, i think that's my favorite one of my favorite like full circle things in all of movies is how spider rico is eating like the actual actor is eating in the restaurant in rocky balboa that's like one of my favorite full circle moments in like all of movies anyways zach do you have anything
2: yeah i have a few things so Um, I'm really curious about Jake LaMotta's intelligence in this movie um, because he's not someone who's smart and I do think the movie kind of jokes a little bit because there's that scene toward the end of the movie where he says, I'm going to open up a nightclub guess what I'm going to call it, take a guess and then the movie cuts to Jake LaMotta's the sign, so like Scorsese knows this guy is not exactly a rocket scientist. Okay, that's like the one instance of this movie. It's a little bit of a wink at the camera. So my conspiracy theory is that Jake LaMotta suffered so much brain damage and CTE that he agreed to be a consultant on this movie and therefore did not notice how horribly he was portrayed as a human being.
0: Now he was that bad before he wrote the book. Like he was, his whole childhood was. Me- I mean, he was a messed up kid from the beginning. Like that. I don't think that there's any merit to that claim but okay
2: i'm also curious about the banging your head on the wall which was very reminiscent of mike the situation in jersey uh, jersey shore season four and mike later said about that season of jersey shore that he was addicted to opioids which is why he banged the head his head on the wall so another conspiracy theory is that jake suffered from opioid addiction toward the end of the movie but they never really show that
0: in like the 50s I guess it's possible. Well, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, a couple other gripes. Um, where do they drive on their first date? Because clearly they're in the Bronx, like in the middle of, you know, the, the, it's a very urban setting. And then when they drive, they're like out in the country somewhere, apparently. Do you really need to drive? I mean, I, I don't know. It, it just seemed kind of odd. Another question I had was, do they ever... Whatever happens to the golf ball after it gets lodged in the little tower? Like, do they call for someone to get it? Do they just kind of leave it there? What happens to it? I, I want to know.
0: That means the game's over.
2: It, yeah, what happens? Does that mean that you get another ball? Does that... I don't. I haven't played miniature golf that much, so, like, what's the rules on that? Is that, like, a ground rule double? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yes, it's a ground rule double in (laughs) putt-putt. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know.
2: Um, And then my final question, gripe, was... um Okay, so clearly this guy is drawn to the verge of insanity by his jealousy and his belief that his wife is cheating on him. Clearly, this is what gives him the power to absolutely destroy Gennaro. If these characters had been smart about it, why don't they always just say, Hey, Jake, Sugar Ray's hitting on your wife. He slept with her last night. And then he would have gotten into the ring and beat the shit out of Sugar Ray. Because clearly that's what he was able to do against Gennaro. He like, could have done that at any can't...
0: point. He took a beating from Sugar Ray because he wanted to. Like. He was always a more powerful person in every fight. He knew that.
2: Okay, well, I don't know. I just feel like that could be a powerful motivation device as like a coach and a trainer. You know, like use it to your boy. advantage. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, um, or in Happy Gilmore, you know, the anger that's inside. Maybe Jake LaMotta really should have been played by Adam Sandler. That's who we're missing as It actually the, made the key Happy
0: Gilmore a worse golfer, though. He needed to go I to his did happy it, place. I, don't know.
2: I don't remember that movie well enough, but
1: just sitting here thinking, I was thinking like 20 to 25 years ago, Jake Lomato could have been awesomely played by John C. Riley. Mm hmm. And 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 what's making me think of that is is uh, all the scenes with his first wife and the scenes in Walk Hard with Kristen Wiig.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those could have easily been inspired by that. I, I know, I know. <laughs>
1: my, my, my biggest, like, okay. How the hell did the real Jake LaMotta live to be 95? I mean, I'm going along question. completely with Zach's, like, whole complete brain damage, CTE, all that stuff. He lived to be 95. He only died three years ago, dude. What happened? How the hell did that happen? 95?
0: I don't know. I mean, yeah. you live hard, and sometimes it doesn't catch up with you. I mean, he even says that earlier. He's like, he's like, yeah, I mean, I've made a lot of bad mistakes. Maybe it's all catching up with me. I guess it never did.
1: <laughs> By the way, the real Jake LaMotta was 5'8", so, yeah. Unless you're going to cast, like, a 6'10 dude as uh, as Sugar Ray... Good luck having uh, Adam Driver be your Jake LaMotta, Todd. Oh, that's
0: fine. You could have Rob Brown or something play Sugar Ray.
1: <laughs> some, some NBA guy. Or, or yeah. Kevin Durant can be Sugar Ray. There you go.
0: Or Teddy Bridgewater. That's about He's what probably you'd like need. 6'3".
1: <laughs> oh. All right. You're, okay, um, one other
0: thing, do you guys okay, so the black and white is, is I think it works really well, but like the middle part, like that middle like uh, intermission almost with like the family footage and stuff. I think that's really strange that that's in color. It's almost like it was trying to be a book. Like it's like the the opening title has Rage and Bull in red. Everything else is black and white until that like middle thing montage thing, and then everything else is black and white after that. Is it trying to look like a book? I've always kind of thought that, but I, I've never seen that actually printed anywhere.
2: I think it's meant to look like Scorsese's um, memories of New York in the 1940s. Like, it looks like all the home movies he's ever, like, if you ever watch a documentary about him, it looks like every home movie that they ever show.
0: So why isn't the whole movie shot like that, oh, That's then? a good call.
2: Because it's, like, Super 8, grainy, shitty footage. Like, super low quality. Are you talking about the color or, like, the quality of the film?
0: And I, I guess both. I just think it's an interesting an interesting choice that that would be in color. I, I would think that it would still be in black and white if you had the rest of the movie like that. Unless there was a point to it.
2: That montage is my favorite part of this movie, by the way. That that was excellent. I wish the movie had been more like that. And the music. We haven't talked about the music, but like the use of the music in that sequence was really, really well done.
0: Yeah. I, it almost reminded me of like the opening of Up. Like I feel like the music is really similar to that in that sequence.
1: Now that would have been a twist if Kathy Moriarty dies in that montage.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That would have been like, yeah. Up paying homage to Raging Bull. That would...
0: <laughs>
1: All right, let's move on. LVP MVP. Todd, what do you got? LVP first.
0: LVP. I have the boxer Fox, who was uh, the champ that he has to uh, throw the fight against because he is just so horrible as a champion. Like, he, like uh De Niro lands one punch and he's like flailing back. Like his impression of him was absolutely spot on. He's like, I touched him once and he was like, I, 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 That that guy was told totally, I mean, he was garbage and th- and that cost like, that. Co- I mean, he got suspended because of that stupid fight. Fox, yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible boxer, terrible champion, stupid mob connections.
1: All right, Zach, what do you got for LVP?
2: LVP for me is clearly Paul Schrader. I think the screenplay is the weak point of this story, and I think it had it had a tighter screenplay, the movie would have la- had a better shelf life. Interestingly enough, Paul Schrader also made the movie American Gigolo in nineteen eighty. Um, and I'm—I was going to pretend that I had seen it and say it was a better movie, but I have not seen American Gigolo. I bet it's a better screenplay, though.
0: It's a terrible.
1: My movie. Uh, my LVP for Raging Bull is uh, the final scene of Boogie Nights, of being a better mirror scene. Yes. And so the first scene of Raging Bull, watching it now and thinking about, well, this is just this is just what Dirk Diggler was inspired by but Dirk Diggler being in the mirror is so much better so my LVP of making Raging Bull feel worse is the fact that Boogie Nights did it better even though it was inspired by Raging Bull so my LVP is Paul Thomas Anderson Dirk Diggler and Boogie Nights
0: wow (laughs) that's like
2: six degrees of Kevin Bacon you had to make the leap to that but I, I see what you did there
1: yeah 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 that's what I'm going with. All right, Todd MVP.
0: Uh, I went with Thelma, Schoonmaker, because uh, I I feel like the pace of the movie never lets up, and I and it has to like deal with a lot of things. Like there's either like mumbling and like really quiet talking, or there's like screaming and yelling. There's really no normal talking voices in this, and it really doesn't make it feel like anything's out of place necessarily. And i don't know it doesn't linger on any emotion for too long i i feel like the the editing is absolutely pitch perfect and one of the reasons why scorsese is the best director of all time
1: yeah thelma schoonmaker definitely adds a lot to whatever he does zach what do you got
2: uh well originally i was going to go in similar direction to you terry for mvp i was going to say marlon brando because i was being cheeky and all that but i think instead i'm going to go with pauline kale because she was one of the few critics in 1980 to rip this movie apart now of course i don't always agree with everything pauline kale says i think she had a lot of like personal ammunition that she went after filmmakers for that i thought was really trite and and stupid but her review absolutely gets it dead on and um she was not a fan of this movie and if you read her review today it's one of the few reviews of hers that i think really ages well i'm sure quentin tarantino would agree with me and uh he she absolutely encapsulates every flaw i have about this movie so if you if you think this movie was absolutely universally beloved in 1980 read her review and know that it was not
0: despicable all right
1: My my MVP, I think this was the obvious one, but you guys didn't say it is uh, Robert De Niro, because oh, yeah. There's him. from from what well from what we've said, I mean this movie doesn't happen unless, in, unless Robert De Niro comes along and says we need to make this movie, um, he he is he is the the focus of the movie, he is the center of the movie, he helped get the movie made, he inspired. De Niro, or not, he inspired Scorsese to actually do it, um, he is the MVP of this movie because he is the movie in so many ways, so that's my MVP is Robert De Niro.
0: Andrew Pesci. Angelo Pesci. Because they trade but, blows, like, I feel like an actor with less pride than Pesci would have just let De Niro take the screen and do what he wants with it, but I feel like Pesci really is there with him the whole time. He, he was on my list too.
2: And according to IMDb, Pesci broke his ribs in the scene where they were jousting in the ring. Like, really taking one for the team there.
1: All right, that uh, wraps up our deep dive. So let's wrap up this podcast with a quote of the day. Uh, Zach, you're first.
2: All right, well, I'm going to piggyback on what I said earlier. I, uh, I, I'm i going to quote Pauline kale in her review of Raging Bull. And this is maybe the best thing she ever wrote. It's just hilarious. She says, Listening to Jake and Joey go at each other like the macho clowns in a, in Cassavetti's movies, I know I'm supposed to be responding to a powerful, ironic realism, but I just feel trapped. Jake says, You dumb f**k. And Joey says, You dumb f***', And they repeat it and repeat it. And I think, What am I doing here watching these two dumb f***s?" I don't know if they printed that in 1980, but that's 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 gold right there, Pauline.
0: That is beautiful. You're an that's idiot.
2: <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, mine's gonna be even worse. Uh, so I got uh, it's a quote from uh, the cook, the thief, the, her, his wife, and her lover. And because I am a degenerate, I found a link between that and super bad. And that is Helen Mirren, as Georgina says, when she's trying to make up something about. Uh, About who she's sleeping with She says he's Jewish He uh, hails from Ethiopia And I was thinking like so he's an African Jew Wearing a hoodie (laughs) And yeah so there we go
2: That was beautiful
0: Even worse (laughs) Well uh, My
1: quote comes from The half of it the movie I reviewed earlier That's on Netflix Um, And this quote comes from Ellie's father Edwin Chu Played by Colin Chow and uh, they they sit down and they watch a lot of movies during this movie, and uh, and one thing he does every time they sit down and watch a movie is he'll stop everything and go ah the best part, and and like like they're watching Casablanca and he'll go ah the best part and it's like this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship and so I always feel I mean that's something I always was like oh oh this is the best part this is the best part right here right here right here yeah you do and I mean we're yeah, I do. I do. And and so and and I think that that this podcast is kind of like I mean, this is the highlights of finding the best parts. And so, I think it describes this podcast well. It's ah, the best part. And that is our podcast. There you go. Bring it around full circle. So there you go. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to our deep dive. We'll be back to you next week uh with a retro review it sounds like of a uh, of a movie from the past that you can find streaming online somewhere. Uh, Look at our social media platforms or almostsideways.com later in the week to find out what that is. And uh, until then, have fun watching movies, stay safe, and we will see you all on the flip side.
0: That's entertainment. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.